you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. The Around the NFL Podcast. God save the King. From beautiful London, it's Around the NFL, the week four flagship show. Dan Hans is here in a hotel filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal. We got Justin Graver on the ones and twos. And there are Jessica somewhere Somewhere, someplace being helpful. Yes, it is uh, our final show here in London, and it's been an amazing week that was topped off by us attending, well, some of us attending Vikings, Saints, and it came down to the final kick, as is fitting given this country's love affair and the surrounding territory's love affair with the kicking of the football in this sport of football. Mark, um, we did not get to uh, go as a trio to the Sunday game. Uh, You and I did. uh, Mark, uh, Greg hung back. He wasn't feeling well earlier today. Uh, But we had a great, great time at the Hot Toddy. I thought it was such a capping experience that we've had because – you know, you spend when you go to a football game, especially as a, a, a media person, you get there hours before the game and you wander around. And I, we met with, I would say, roughly 150 people that uh, have listened to the show for a long time. And it was like we have a really wonderful listener group, a, a, a listener collection of people that like are into the show. And like uh, it was meaningful to do that. And then the game, which I think started kind of slow started in a strange way, just got grew and grew in importance and, and sort of fire. And uh, we did miss having Greg with us. Greg, uh, I hope you're feeling better, but uh, we thought about you and a lot of people asked about you throughout the day. I mean, it was uh, it was fun to watch it here on TV. It's been a long time. The last time I was at home watching Sky Sports coverage, I got in trouble and we had a whole episode uh, making amends for to Neil Reynolds for it. But I, I enjoyed watching it here because you could see sort of what's built even just through the tv it just all felt so big like the game was perfect uh hearing sanchez go nuts we've got like a top five sanchez clips from today was fun too but more seeing like the sky 
coverage and the and the fans that were there it always like falcons jets felt like a super bowl last year so i can only imagine by the end of this game the way that it finished with like a game i always just kind of root for one of these games to be like classics to like deliver for these fans what they want like this was a classic it was great it was it was a lot of fun and we're going to get to that game and every game that was played on Sunday in week four. Today it is 1.30 in the morning here in, in London. We'll be on an airplane headed back to Los Angeles tomorrow. Well, today, this has been the most bizarre uh, week of my life in terms of trying to figure out what is going on. But that's not your problem. That's our problem. We will work through it. But first, we're going to tell you all about the day that was in our league. And yes, why don't we start at the Big Tot, at the Hot Toddy, at Tottenham Hotspurs Stadium, where the Vikings and Saints did battle. Said extra vinegar on the fish and chips. I hope you had an extra helping of the bangers and mash. He's going to need everything he's got in that right leg. And <laughs> nail this sucker. Good snap. Good hold. Let's his kick on the way. <laughs> oh. And it is off the upright <laughs> double doink. And it is over in London. Lutz pinballed it around, and it fell out. 28-25. The Vikings hang on by the width of the crossbar. Great call by Kevin Kugler with, of course, Mark Sanchez there. A double doink from 61 yards. You cannot make it up. The NFL London games kicked off with a corker as Will Lutz's bid to become the first kicker in NFL history to make 60-plus yard field goals on back-to-back possessions. You know, I didn't look that up, but I know it to be true. It just, there's no way that that is not true. Fell painfully short in a 28-25 loss to the Vikings uh, here at the Hot Toddy. The Vikings regained the lead minutes earlier when Greg Joseph atoned for a PAT miss by drilling the go-ahead 47-yard field goal with 24 seconds to play, setting the stage after a big Chris Olave reception for the dramatics with Lutz. Mark, uh, this was a fun game to be at for many reasons. Uh, we stated some of them just a couple minutes ago, but the game itself, like you said, after a slow start, turned into one of the better London games I can remember. It really did, and I, you know, we had a chance to go on field and talk about the game on, on the big screen in front of the crowd. Um, not a humble brag, Greg. It just, it's just something that was part of our professional duty today. And at that point in the game, my take was just that, you know, the Vikings came out of this thing hot. Touchdown on the opening drive, 74 yards off 13 plays. And what I thought the Saints did at one point in this game was they really started to show resiliency and turn what was a touchdown offense into a field goal offense. Four field goals over five drives for this, where the Vikings got very close and should have been scoring touchdowns, and they weren't. And so the fact that they pulled this thing out in the end is a big win for them. I, I, I feel if you're, if you're, if you're Minnesota, I, I don't see their, you're a team that's fully there. I just don't. But they, this is the kind of game that, that typically in Vikings fashion would have been pulled away from them, and they pulled it out in the end. Like they got the breaks. 
I mean, it, that's very yeah. un-Vikings. I mean, this was a very typical NFL game. I feel like if you wanted to give a good example of what the NFL product is right now, this was it. It's like a three-point game between two teams that both could be three and one or both could be one and three. The Vikings happen to be three and one. There, there's very little difference. Uh, you had your superstars like step up in the big moment, uh, Justin Jefferson with that huge catch on Lattimore to, to set up uh, the go-ahead uh, points there. Uh, you had a terrible call that may have cost the Saints the game. The uh, the hands to the face on Tyron Matthew was a total phantom. It's rare that bad calls in the NFL are just clearly bad. Like, there's no interpretation that it was just 100% miss, and they would have gotten the ball with the lead with five minutes to go if that call wasn't made. Um, and then you had to uh, end on a lot of fun and weirdness and kicking. Like, this is this is the NFL in a nutshell. That I honey badger call was, was one of the worst calls of this entire season so far. I think it was the worst if I had to choose. All right, one. calm down, guys. <laughs> so a lot of football was played. That was just one play. One call. What I was going to no, say just, was, you're it right. Just is rare, it's rare that it's so, it's rare that it's, like, so obvious that it's just, like, that wrong. Got it. So, like... You're right. I thought the Saints defense did uh, great work um, keeping this game close while the offense figured its way. And Andy Dalton in his first start of the season, I think the jury's still out on you know what whether he's an upgrade or a downgrade. He certainly was very good in the second half, but they did not move the ball at all in the first half. But I just think it's amazing to me. When they set up for the first, they they like I said, they set up for two 60-yard field goals, the 60-yarder and then the 61-yarder uh, at the gun. And it just shows you, like, the kicking game is evolving in the NFL. Like, that would be unheard of to me even five years ago. And now you're regularly seeing coaches sending out their kickers for 57, 58, 59, 60 Whereas 10 years ago, you only do that if you absolutely have no other choice at the end of a game uh, or an end-of-half situation. And the fact that he smoked the first one, uh, that was right in front of us, by the way, Greg, right in front of um, where we were sitting in the press box area. And then the second one to double doink, it's a, it's a very tough loss for the Saints who are, you know, they are a epic comeback in week one away from an 0-4 start, but they're 1-3, and and the Vikings, yeah, I agree, um, Greg they, or Mark. They are not a perfect team, uh, but the NFC in general is not perfect, and they're out to a three and one start. And I think they're going to be okay. And finding Je- Justin Jefferson, making him again the focal point of the game plan. Thirteen targets and in- including a really well designed uh, rushing touchdown play near the goal line. Great job there. So I think the Vikings still, to me, looked a part of a wild card type team. Um, meanwhile, the Saints, Greggy, I know they are, they're a team that you felt very high about. They have a lot of work to do. They got to start finding ways to win games uh, because it's going to get late early for them. Yeah, I wonder if they'll keep starting Andy Dalton. I think they probably will feel a little better with how the offense looked under him, especially considering you know they didn't have Michael Thomas, they didn't have Alvin Kamara. We didn't mention we they didn't have Andrews Pete, their starting guard. Jarvis Landry didn't really do anything in this game, and yet the ball was coming out a little quicker. I wouldn't say Dalton played great either. It was funny listening to Sanchez like root for these two guys, uh, Dalton and uh, Cousins, because they're like. 
they're Mark Sanchez types. And so just when these guys were late on all their throws and both, both quarterbacks seemed late on every throw the entire game, like it was just absolutely killing Sanchez. But at least the Saints found a defense. Like Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan were dominant in this game. I think they combined for seven quarterback hits. I It was the one good uh, thing. It, it killed me to not be at the game with you guys, but I was able to put together like a highlight reel for you, Dan, of some some Sanchez moments. Sundays, I, Sundays with Sanchez. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I filled that role for you today. That, that, that was me I appreciate in. that, buddy. <laughs> what do we got? How about Cam Jordan? Looked like he's trying to find the baby in the king cake at Mardi Gras, trying to figure <laughs> out what the heck's going on back there, and then he sees Kirk Cousins with the ball. Whoa, <laughs> a red rifle just turned into a sniper rifle. Holy smokes. Wow. <laughs> a little extra vinegar on his fish and chips, man. Two extra yards. You know, he's got a little bit of a, a discount Tony Romo vibe going for him. <laughs> and I mean that. I know it doesn't sound like a compliment, but I do mean it as a compliment. I think that's no, well I, said. That's a that's a good categorization to put him into. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. All right, we'll uh, get back to some thoughts about this game and some sights and sounds from uh, the hot toddy on Sunday. But let's next a little bit later. But next, let's move on now to another big game. This one happened in Philadelphia. Eagles looking to stay undefeated. Lawrence in the gun. He's back. He steps up. He's hit. He fumbles the football. But I think he has it. Let's see. Now the Eagles have it. That'll be the game. The Eagles have it. Lawrence did not get on it. You put the onus on your defense, and your defense is Hargrave. Hargrave got back. (laughs) Merrill Reese and Mike Quick all amped up on WIP. The Eagles forced Trevor Lawrence into five turnovers, four of them on fumbles, including the game-clinching turnover on a Hassan Reddick sack in the final two minutes to secure a 29-21 win over the Jaguars. Greg, the Eagles spotted Jacksonville the first 14 points of this game, but their opportunistic defense ensured Philly would remain the only undefeated team in football. Yeah, I came into this game like thinking like, well, which of the big tough football teams like will be tougher? Both offensive lines are good. Both defensive lines are good. And it like in terms of that battle, it was not a battle at all. The Jaguars came into this game, you know, first in rushing defense by far, and they end up giving up 210 yards on the ground to the Eagles. Like, they had protected Trevor Lawrence pretty well all season uh, in terms of their pass protection, and yeah, Lawrence fumbled four times. One of them was uh, a snap. It was definitely rainy conditions, uh, but the other three were were strip sacks. Hassan Reddick with two of them in the second half. Like he he seemed like he had two essentially game clinching uh, forced fumbles. But the Jags defense and the Jags offense at least like kept them in it for a minute, and yet it to me it kind of felt like. Okay, the Eagles like haven't faced any adversity all year. Like, let, let's see how they respond. And yeah, like twenty nine three points. That's how they responded. There was the the James Bradbury interception was huge in this too. I I just like looking at both quarterbacks. I know there was a lot of weather factor in this. Um, does it change the way you feel? I thought you know Jalen Hurts has been I had him in number two in the QB index. I think he's been phenomenal this season. Do you look at him or Trevor in this game and just say it changes the way you feel about them, or was it more just this was a rough Sunday? Mm relatively for both of them compared to where they had been a week ago. Well, I don't know. I think it was a step forward for Jalen Hurts. I know that numbers don't look great, but the fact sure. that he ended step up... Step forward, Greggy. Come on, take off the Eagles glasses. 
okay, a step when, forward. Well, how was when, it then? How was it? When there's when there's other games that are in like a driving rainstorm, like we just give teams a pass when it's like eleven to ten at the end of the game. Like Jalen Hurts was maybe the main reason why they came back and put twenty nine up on them. They doubled them up in terms of yardage. Like there isn't another quarterback in the league, I think, on fourth down where their coach goes for it uh, that's able to, like, run over the defender on the goal line quite like Jalen Hurts did in the rain. And, like, and that, to me, was a turning point. He made a lot of good throws in this game. I mean, despite the weather, I mean, it was really raining. You know, A.J. Brown goes 5 for 95. Goddard goes 5 for 72. Like, yeah, I thought he played well. They lost two offensive linemen, including their left tackle, like, right away. They overcame a lot, and people were like, oh, they haven't been tested. It's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, now they were tested, and then they were, weren't really tested by the end of this. I mean, yeah, you're going to have games like because, this, right? Right. No, I only say that because he's been so brilliant um, yeah. that it, it's hard to take a step up from where he has been. But, yeah, certainly the weather is a factor. And I think, again, obviously you're getting a lot of uh, credit being given, and rightfully so, for the Eagles to Hertz, who's an MVP uh, favorite to this great dynamic one-two punch at wide receiver with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, and then you have Dallas Goddard uh, in the mix making plays as well. But I think one thing that's under the radar still is that Miles Sanders has been mm-hmm. so great so far this year. This is a guy that a couple of years ago broke out and looked like he had a chance to be knocking on the door of the Superstar Club. He took a big step back last year, never found the end zone once the whole year, had injury issues. And in this game, in a driving rainstorm and and bad weather at times, 27 for 134, Greg, and two touchdowns. He's been another revelation for them. Yeah, and and that I think goes to the point that like they could play this ugly style better than Jacksonville. Like, they can beat you with with the passing game, but at certain points in the game, they were just going read option screen and running the ball the whole time. Like they just turned back into the 2021 Eagles. And it's nice to be able to have that option, especially when you're down 14, nothing like after that first quarter, it was basically all Jacksonville. And then to, to more or less dominate the next three quarters, I I think was like a a show of force. And do you put, we talked about a Lawrence a little bit here, but if this is played in, regular conditions or nice conditions like today in London, which was absurdly beautiful for a day that was supposed to be raining all day. Um, Is it a five turnover day or how much is that do you put on the weather, the way this worked for Lawrence, who, by the way, took a huge step forward himself last week and obviously it didn't work out for him today. Last two weeks. Yeah. I've been a little hesitant to – I think Lawrence has been a – part of what's gone great for them, Um, but he hasn't been to me like a top – eight or nine quarterback in the league yet this season. Uh, He held the ball too long today, but yeah, it was crazy conditions. I think you put some of that on him. Uh, That was still, a lot of it was just decision-making. It wasn't like accuracy on throws. All right. So the Eagles remain undefeated. The Jaguars come back to earth a little bit, but still remain frisky. Are they spicy or are they frisky? Hmm. It's so funny Uh because I was writing... I literally wrote a note, Jags, spicy, not frisky. But that was about at 14-7, so I, I, might, I might have to change it. <laughs> we gotta get, I, I'd go we got to get to the bottom of that. Uh, I'm leaning towards downgrading them from spicy to frisky. But, again, it's very difficult to say what is what at this time. Uh, speaking of which, let's move to figure out what is what when it becomes when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens who had another chance to knock off an AFC rival and saw it go sideways in a big spot. Here we go. 
with three seconds left. The snap is down. Tyler Bass, the kick is up. The kick is good. The clock says zero. The Bills have won it in Baltimore. The Bills came from 17 points down to beat the Baltimore Ravens. Unbelievable. What a game. John Murphy, WGR with the call. Yep. The Bills got it done. They forced the big fourth down turnover. Josh Allen takes over at the 20 and drives his team down the field to the goal line. Tyler Bass makes that short field goal as time expires. They win in Baltimore, 23-20. This is a game that Buffalo was down 20-3 in the Mm -hmm. second quarter. Uh, and it is the largest comeback win for the Bills, according to the AP, since they erased a 21-point deficit to beat the Pats uh, 11 years ago. Uh, a bit, a lot of drama at the end of this game because, like I said, the Bills got a big fourth-down turnover um, at the other end of the field, at the goal line, uh, where the Ravens had a chance to go up three with a chip-shot field goal from Justin Tucker, and then asked their defense to hold. Instead, John Harbaugh decides to go for it. Uh, Lamar drops back to pass, doesn't find anybody, throws the interception, and then the Ravens can't get a stop, and that's what leads to the loss. Afterwards, uh, facing a line of questioning about his decision not to just kick the field goal and take the lead, here's what Harbaugh had to say. You kick a field goal there, now it's not a three-down game anymore. It's a four-down game. You're, you're putting them out there. You're putting your defense at a disadvantage because they've got four downs to convert all the way down the field and a chance to, again, score seven, and then you, you lose the game on a touchdown. So and then the worst thing, the other thing, you think you're going to get the ball at the two-yard line. So I'm very confident in our defense. Defense is ability to stop them down there with the ball on the two-yard line. So we got them backed up. If we don't get it, it didn't turn out that way, unfortunately, and we lost the game. So hindsight, you could take the points. But... If you look at it analytically, I understand why we did it. Uh, curious where you guys come down on this. I don't hate it. I didn't love the play call, which was just a straight Lamar Jackson drop back. But even then, uh, Devin DuVernay was open uh, for a moment, and Lamar didn't see him before he made the the pass that led to the turnover. Um, what were your thoughts about this, Greg, when you watched it? Did you think this was the right play here? Yeah, especially the way that game going, I wouldn't have faulted them for kicking the field goal just because they hadn't literally put any points on the board in so long that that I would understand it. Uh, but I also I always subscribe to, like, let your players try to win the game. Let Lamar Jackson try to win the game. There's no rule your defense has to go give up a touchdown drive to Buffalo right there. They did. I, I'm with you. I mean, they opened strong. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal. And then they went totally dark. And so you're, you're searching at that point for a way out. And I think it's, it's sort of two offenses where you feel like, look, uh, whether it's Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, you, you don't want to give either one of them a chance in the end. Uh, I, I, it sort of reminds me of the game, the Browns game a couple weeks ago, where everyone's telling Nick Chubb, you got to go down take, and, and not score. And that's exactly what, what, the, what Buffalo did. And it worked for them. I mean, it was just kind of... Interesting to see, um, as a longtime AFC North follower, it, Marcus Peters essentially going after John Harbaugh after the game. This is the stuff that's reserved for teams in total chaos. Mm. I, you just don't see that that often, not, especially not from teams like the Ravens, like the Steelers, where the coach is high and mighty and is very rarely questioned. And, and, and to see it well, Marcus Peters that way, is a the, very... 
Marcus I, Peters no, is right. at, at times a volatile individual. We know that. He is. He is. Uh, but I guess, again, even with him, inside the Ravens system, he hasn't been the way he's been in other places. But just the fact that, like, players just simply did not agree with the way that that thing went down coaching-wise. And Harbaugh said after that the two of them are on the same page. I mean, I guess they were later. They weren't at that moment. And it was just an interesting ending. And it's. I think we live in a world now, too, where in 1988 people weren't judging coaches and analytics and final moments and decisions this way but now you're under such a microscope that even if you're John Harbaugh you got a ton of questions to answer about how this game unfolded in the end there was a a big roughing the passer call that uh, wiped out I believe it was going to be a second 15 near midfield for Buffalo on that final drive and I think they did actually um, the Ravens had a chance uh, to let the Bills score and then uh, they had a tackle of Devin Singletary at the three-yard line, Adafi away, um, brought down Singletary that you could have let him in there and then maybe you give your quarterback one more chance. But like Greg, you're saying they didn't score in the second half, so then you're asking them to do that. The, one, the only thing I'll take exception to um, in terms of what Harbaugh said was uh, the logic. Was, I understand it. He's basically saying the analytics say – to do it that way because you even if you don't get it, they have to go 98 yards. That didn't happen, first of all, because there was the interception that made it a touchback. But the other thing is you don't get it. Your opponent doesn't get four downs down the entire field. It's a three-point game. So it's really it's four downs until you get basically a little past midfield. Then it becomes a three-down and stop situation, and you you can hold them to a field goal. Um, I don't know. It's It was a very interesting decision, and he would have been praised – to high heaven for it if it worked it didn't and that's just the way it goes sometimes right like what i what was happening in this game that lamar only ends up with 144 yards passing on 29 throws and josh allen for that matter only ends up with 213 on 36 throws like the everything about this game uh including that ending you mentioned oway by the way did confirm that they were told to let them score or try to strip the ball. And he said he sort of mistakenly tackled them by trying mm. to strip the ball. But he said he was oh, trying to Because no. st- you could see the teammates <laughs> go up to him and be like, what the hell, man? Why Why did you do that? Uh, but to, to what you just said, I mean, the Ravens hadn't scored all, all game. Anyone thinking that that cost them the game, that they probably weren't going to score a touchdown there anyways. All right, we'll see if these teams meet again come January. Let's take our first break, and then we'll return with one of our friends from America. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, You're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you know have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, 
But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or, like, put a sign in your yard, but. All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self, and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Rush under pressure. Throws deep. Skinny post. Walk in. CeeDee Lamb. He got clear and he walked the dog. 30 and a touchdown. Brad Sham, the Sham God, with the call on KRLD. Cooper Rush, he did it again. Filling in for the injured Dak Prescott. Rushed through a touchdown to Michael Gallup in his return uh, to the lineup. And yes, C.D. Lamb, who has really stepped up the last couple of weeks. In the end, it was a 25-10 win over the Commanders. And now, to talk that game, we welcome in a man from the hard scrabble streets of Cleveland, the great Nick Shook. Shooky, that's three wins in a row for Cooper Rush. You buying into uh, Rush Mania? Uh, Rush Mania is as long as it lasts until Dak Prescott's healthy to play again. I'm not buying Jerry Jones trying to push this quarterback controversy just to keep his team in the headlines because we're going to write about him regardless of what he says. And so I'm not, I'm not, not <laughs> jump, jumping on this train here, guys. Spoken you, like a true ATN writer. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. Yes, yeah, exactly. You know, I got, I got to fight for my territory here. He did have a great day, though. I mean, 107.5 passer rating. That's pretty darn good. Statistically, as a team, it's not super impressive, but it was a total team victory against a a squad that I think they're just better than, no matter whether it's Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott playing. And uh, you got to give a lot of credit to their defense as well, because I think they looked at last week's game that the Commanders played against the Eagles and all those sacks they racked up, and they saw it as an invitation. And granted, they only sacked Carson Wentz twice, but they pressured him on over 40% of his dropbacks. So uh, he was harassed all day. Their offense couldn't do much. Every time, you know, I got multiple games on and every time I look over I see Carson Wentz dropping back on third and long and he's just getting pressured from all directions the 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 right tackle repeatedly getting beaten by Micah Parsons it was just not a good day for Washington it's another good day for Dallas and Cooper Rush who's not only 3-0 this year but the first Cowboys starter to win his first four career games with the Cowboys first four career starts with the Cowboys Cooper Rush but still not buying that controversy nonsense get that out of here (laughs) all right here's Mm -hmm. another stat Here's another stat, because you've mentioned the defense has stepped up. They have, they are the reason that the season was saved uh, when everything looked lost after they looked terrible against Tampa and the quarterback heads to the operating room. The Dallas defense has not given up more than 17 points in a game during Rush's run as starter. It's the first time the defense has held the team's first four opponents to 19 points or less since 1973. So we talked about this, Greggy. We talked about... Entering the season, how the offense was a question mark, but the defense 
could be trusted, and that's exactly how that's played out so far this year. I think they've been even better than expected. I mean, Parsons isn't better than expected. He's just great. Uh, but they're deeper at linebacker. I think they're deeper on the defensive line. The, the secondaries, you know, has great continuity. I think everyone gets excited now to play the commanders who look like one of the worst teams in the league. But And that's what this game um, got mm. me thinking. I watch Washington, and I think they're not a well-coached team. Like especially on defense, and they have, in theory, a defensive-minded head coach. I just don't sense they're a, a well-coached team. There's always guys looking at each other, and they're like, what? why are you doing that? You know, they, there's, they're always yelling at each other on the Washington defense trying to figure out what's going on. Whereas, you look on the flip side, Dan Quinn is one of the best coordinators in the league, and, and I think Kellen Moore, and, and you got to give your boy Zaddy, Mike McCarthy, in the Grateful Dead looking uh, hat today some credit, because I think, you know, they have done a nice job managing uh, what they have on offense with Cooper Rush. Yeah, I, w- I would say that, um, you know, in, in this game, you, you know what you have. You know what you have in, in, in terms of Cooper Rush and how, what he's, he's capable of doing, but it was really nice to see Michael Gallup get back into the fold because this is a guy who, you know, you want to go back to the ATN writer thing. Uh, I've been writing about him potentially playing this week for the last month, and he finally actually played this week. Oh, those are annoying. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, <laughs> and he finally made, he was able to play and make a contribution, catch his first touchdown pass. They get a little bit stronger at receiver, which then helps Cooper Rush get better as a quarterback. You know, he, he's relied on Noah Brown. He got to see Lamb a few times. They had, Their offense had some nice rhythms. The only difference between really him at quarterback and Dak at quarterback is that they haven't been able to finish as many drives, which is what shows up in the total offensive numbers. You stall out a lot just outside of field goal range or just on the edge of field goal range. Brett Maher's been very good for them uh, in that regard. So I, I'm curious to see if that offense takes the next step when Dak does come back. But, I mean, who would imagine that they'd be undefeated with Cooper Rush at quarterback right now? We were writing them off as soon as Dak got hurt. So it's a really good development for them. Sure were. Also, like when Cooper Rush came in for Dak Prescott in that first game, he looked completely lost. And so what we've seen since is remarkable. Last week with the Cowboys, what I really found encouraging was they ra- the way they ran the ball. And it, just looking at the numbers today, and just tell me what you saw. I mean, you've got essentially like they fell off a cliff on that front. Is is uh, That needs to be a strength of their offense, but it's almost more impressive that Cooper Rush pulled off what he did with zero, almost zero ground help. Yeah, it's almost as if they responded to last week's tape by effectively running a lot of play action, a lot of rollouts, and types of things that got guys crossing across, uh, you know, over the field to get guys open in more of a flow of an offense where you're play actioning a lot and, and getting guys open that way because they weren't running the ball effectively. And that's the one thing that Washington can kind of hang its hat on, not on a per-down basis, but every in almost every game I've seen them play this year, they've been pretty stiff up front against the run. Not every single game, but, I mean, you go back to, you know, earlier in the season when they weren't. But today especially, um, they, they were better up front, and, and Dallas adjusted accordingly. All right, Shooky, let's now head to Atlanta, where your Brownies were attempting to go 3-1. and one. Oh, but those frisky, frisky Falcons. They were there, standing in the way. Third and 23. Brissett dropping again, throwing, and it is intercepted. D. Alford. Holy smokes. 55 seconds left, and D. Alford, one of the great stories on this Falcon roster, has a moment. Yes, Western WCGC with the call. It was D. Alford. Stepping in front of the Jacoby Brissett pass in the fourth quarter with the interception, clinching 
a 23-20 win for the Atlanta Falcons, who scored points on their final three drives to take a win away from the Browns, a game the Browns had been in the lead at one point. Shooky, uh, how did this game play out? Was this a back-and-forth affair where you felt these were two fairly even teams or another one that the Browns let get away? This is the, a game in which the Browns spotted the Falcons 10 early points by driving all the way down the field, having command of the football, and coming away with nothing by going forward on fourth and goal, then giving up three, fumbling the re- uh, on the first play after the kickoff and giving up a touchdown, and all of a sudden you're down 10 to nothing. Then reversing the field entirely, taking command of the game, tying it up before halftime, and then again failing to maximize an opportunity on first and goal from the one-yard line. That's the, the Browns left a ton of points out on the field today, and that's credit to Atlanta's defense for stiffening up in, in key situations. Dean Pease, we know what he does as a defensive coordinator, but when the Browns look back at this, they're going to really regret that they lost this game just because they had enough opportunities to win. And when it came down to it, when they were down by a field goal, everybody knew it was going to happen because you just saw it happen two weeks ago against the Jets. They're not a team built to come back. They're not even a team built to come back from down three points in the final two minutes because they're not good enough as a passing offense to be able to make up that ground. So Jacoby Brissett rolls out. I knew he was going to throw a pick. He throws a a pick, game over. And that's who they are right now. They can Mm. control it on the ground early, and that's it. Well, I hear the fan frustration there, Shooky, but hasn't Brissett been really good overall, at least entering this game? Yeah. I know that he had the late interception against the Jets, but you had seen some real strides, especially his chemistry with Amari Cooper and Najoku had been making plays. Uh, step back on that front, I, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, he was good in key situations. They shortened their offense. It was a running game. It was checking down. It was ripping the occasional one down the field like he had to Donovan Peoples-Jones. His passer rating would have been a lot better if not for that interception at the end. But the key component here in their passing game and why they struggled to put points on the board today, AJ, AJ Terrell shut out Amari Cooper. Essentially shut him out. He gave up, I think, what was it, uh, one catch Ooh. on the day? One catch for nine yards. So he was a non-factor, and that really hurt their offense. But you can't put it on Brissett. It's just the fact that he made the game-deciding turnover by throwing the pick. I, I hated this going in for Cleveland. When you don't have Miles Garrett, you don't have Clowney, you, you don't have a lot of depth at the edge rusher position to begin with. But I want to ask you something because I think we've all, Greg and I at least, have talked about the Falcons and Dan too. But like we've talked about the Falcons as a spicy offense that I think is really well coached. And I think if Arthur Smith is very creative. Kevin Stefanski came out of this game with a lot of critique that I saw on Twitter, just the way he handled the, this game in general. Like, who do you think right now is quietly the better offensive coordinator, the better <laughs> offensive mind between Stefanski and Arthur Smith? I think it might be Arthur Smith. Stefanski seems to cost the the Browns games here and there. Stefanski gets cute with his play calling. Whoa. Arthur Smith has, and it's too cute. Arthur Smith has maximized the players that he's had in his offense in his first two years in Atlanta, especially last year. Heck, today, he just said, you know what? We're not running the ball with Cordell Patterson. Let's go to the young guys. Caleb Huntley, get on the field. Tyler Algier, get on the field. Let's run the ball 14 straight times because that Browns defensive front, three-fourths of its starting line out of the game. We're going to run it right down your throat. Disrespectful. Absolutely disrespectful. And that's how they actually got back into this game and really took command. I like that you're bringing to command into the conversation. Well, Carson Wentz can't do it. Kind of st- trying to take it away from no, Carson you can't Wentz. Do it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what happened with Cordell Patterson in this game? By the way, I saw he scored an early touchdown, but he wasn't on the field near the end. Did he have a setback with that knee um, issue? Not that I had heard. He looked like he was fine. 
Uh, it's just that they weren't necessarily getting much going on the ground with him. The Browns were pretty prepared. They were they were bottling that up. And then they turned to more mm. of your traditional smash mouth runners, that Huntley kid. I'm telling you, man, he ran really hard, getting the extra yards as part of that drive where they ran it 10 straight plays, 10 straight runs right down the field. I couldn't blame him for going to those two guys and really just pounding the rock while having a guy who, like you said, has a, a dealing with a knee issue. You keep him on the sideline if you're finding success without him. All right. You okay right now with the Browns? Would you sign off for two and two? I feel like you probably would, but it's been kind of a super frustrating two and two. Um, the Browns could be zero and four, and they could be four and zero. Like they could be anywhere, right? They are an right. average team. So maybe it's about right with a quarterback who's <laughs> maximizing his abilities right now, and they just are what they are. And until that changes, that's what they're going to be. They're frustrating. They should have won this game, and they should have won the Jets game. And I'm not saying they're a 4-0 type team, but like, that to be 2-2 two and two with the way they lost those two games, is there's a lot of coaching going on there. Well, it could be worse. You could be the Ravens and blow uh, a 17-point lead uh, on Sunday and blow a, what, what was the lead that they had to Miami that they blew? 21, like they, they feel like, they should, like That entire division feels like they've missed a lot of opportunities. It was not a good Sunday for the AFC North in general, as we'll get to a little bit later. Um, Shooky, we're going to have uh, we're going to have you on for Sunday Night Football, but why don't we keep you on for another game? We could use yeah. the help on this uh, wild Sunday for around the NFL from London. <laughs> Let's head to Charlotte. Snap to Murray, going to throw, and it's a fade right side for Brown in the end zone. Brown hauls it in, and it's a touchdown. What a catch by Hollywood. Does a snow angel on the ground in celebration after just a phenomenal catch for probably the dagger in this ballgame. Dave Pash with the call, KMVP. Mark Sessler, I'm going to start with you on this one because I know you were tracking this uh, as well. Not a, not a flying start for the Cardinals offense, which has been the case all season long, but they did come on in the end and take care of a pretty bad Panthers team. 26-16 final. Kyler finished 207 and two touchdowns. Added a rushing score as well. So how did this game feel to you, Mark? Was this just the the Cardinals figuring things out in time before they had another disaster on their hands? I thought they figured things out uh, in time. I mean, I, I, I saw two teams sort of searching for what they are and what they want to be this season. And, I, you know, Shook, you and I have watched a lot of Baker Mayfield. We all have. And I thought Baker Mayfield just proved once again that he is just having one of the most meltdowny, regressive seasons you could possibly imagine. And it's not all him, but he's baked inside this offense where, I mean, of all the people, J.J. Watt, who went into the hospital during this week for a massive heart condition, um, had a tipped ball that turned into a Baker Mayfield interception, had another tipped ball on Baker Mayfield, who threw a, who, who created a series of like very costly turnovers in this game. And it just put Kyler Murray and a Cardinals offense that also was just searching for itself for much, much of the contest into a much better place in the second half. And they took a position of like they had a couple short fields that they took advantage of. I mean, there was also a moment where Kyler Murray, uh, like clearly in his headset, was flipping out on Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, there's just a lot of frustration by both these teams. And it was like one team sort of found their way out of it, but it gave me zero increased trust 
and really either of them. Kyler Murray is an incredible talent, but I'm not sure he's really at a place in his career where he can rescue the Cardinals' offense alone. It, he did today because of the position they were put in, because Baker Mayfield simply should not be a starting quarterback with the way he's playing right now, in my opinion. Yeah, this is... I was really curious and wanted to do this game, A, because I'm a glutton for punishment and I've done every Panthers game this season and it just gets worse and worse every week. But also, more importantly, these are two of the worst teams in the first half offensively in the NFL. They both come out sleepwalking. They struggle to put points on the board. They combined for a whopping six points in the first half because the only touchdown on the board was scored on a defensive touchdown by Frankie Louvu. So I wanted to watch that because of this, but what I saw was more of the same, which is what you just just described. It's Baker Mayfield continuing to regress. Maybe it wasn't the injuries last year in Cleveland. Maybe he really is not a good quarterback anymore. The batted passes at the line are, it's death taxes, Baker Mayfield getting passes batted down at the line of scrimmage. It's just a week-by-week thing. No matter who they're playing, they all know the same game plan. Clog up the passing windows, put your hands up, you're going to knock passes down. They got a pick off of it today. But he's out of sync. It's to the point where I don't even have to be hard on Baker Mayfield. You don't have to be hard on Nobody out outside the team has to be anymore the fans will boo him and let him know in the fourth quarter of a game in which they're struggling again and you're right it's not all on him but it starts at quarterback this offense has no rhythm and they have enough talent to be better than they are right now i don't see a light at the end of the tunnel for these guys i think they're on a long road toward nowhere right Mm. now there was an incredible stat in this game the panthers right now sit at one in 26 under matt rule when the opponent scores 17 points. That's not a lot in the Oof. NFL. 1-26. in 26. They've lost 24 in a row in that case. There's a lot of quarterback play situations going on in there. But, I mean, they're a team that, I mean, has not figured it out in years in a row. And I'm I, I, the Baker Mayfield thing is not a solution. I, I don't know. I think, th- you, I think you've hit on it there, Mark. Yeah. I think it is the quarterback play. I, I know rule's part of it, but... I mean, it's it's Teddy Bridgewater, who's Teddy Bridgewater. It's Sam Darnold, and now it's Baker Mayfield. I mean, how I mean, do you, don't put, how do you don't put those points? three together. <laughs> One had an average NFL offense. The other two were literally the worst two quarterbacks in the league during those years. It's a pretty big difference. All right. Well, it's a I difference. do. I do put them together. You could separate them, but they weren't. A, there's a reason he was one and done in in Carolina as well, Mr. Rosenthal. Yeah, because they make terrible personnel moves, and that and that was that was one of them ultimately that they spent more money to get rid of them and get get way worse. That's not the point. This this game reminded me of another classic Panthers Cardinals game, Ryan Lindley uh, versus the Panthers in the playoffs, where Ryan Lindley uh, dropped back to pass thirty two times and wound up with fifty six yards uh, as a team passing. And in in playing the role of Ryan Lindley today was Baker Mayfield. But it was Joe Brady's fault, guys. This is a tough game. It, it was a, it was Joe Brady's fault. Don't forget that. That's right. They fired they Joe did Brady. Show, too. By the way, they showed Ben McAdoo, the rock star, uh, up in his uh, booth at one point, and I was like trying to figure out what, what does he remind me of, um, and uh, he reminds me of my neighbor Nate. He looks just like him. I just want everyone to know that. <laughs> if you want to know what my neighbor well, Nate looks like, it work, looks like. The rock star, Ben McAdoo. I think you've, you've, uh, given, you've given us what we need on that front. Like that, you've quenched our thirst you. for for that on that situation. These might be my <laughs> two favorite, least favorite teams to watch right now. By the way, and yeah, nothing I, I saw I, today did anything to change that. Shook, I don't know. Like I was, I like I, we were co-covering this. Um, had I known that you were covering, I might have like just simply folded off <laughs> because it left me. I've not gotten a lot of sleep in this city. Um, just to be real, it's my own issue. But like. Um, 
I it was like I was heading into micro nap scenarios like during the second half of this game. It was just like these two were refusing to pull me out of slumber. What what qualifies as a micro nap? All right, Shooky. how long? Like forty five seconds. I don't know. Thirty eight seconds where you wake up and you don't even know where you are. I was like, am I in Central That's Germany? That's the worst I'm thing. In, Am I in New Jersey? I don't know where I am. <laughs> There's nothing worse than a micro nap. Shooky, uh, come back to us in a little bit to handle uh, the Chiefs Bucks recap, will ya? You know it. Yes, of course. Thanks, guys. Thank you, buddy. And thank you always for your help. Nick Shook, legend. All right, let's take a break, and then we'll uh, keep diving into the Sunday that was in our league. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. All right, hit it. The Jets very likely a yard and a half away from a win. Zach Wilson takes the snap, handoff, Hall up the middle, extra effort at the goal line. The ball popped out. He might have lost it at the goal line. The Jets think he got across the goal line. Nine seconds to go. The clock has stopped. And an official threw the beanbag, signaling a fumble. The runner broke the plane of the goal line. Therefore, by rule, that is a touchdown. The Jets have a touchdown! (laughs) Brees Hall did indeed break the plane before the ball popped out. Oh, yeah! On the week that we had bongos for days at the 0-2 Forum, Bob with Susan with the call for WEPN. Reese Hall broke the plane. And the Jets are soaring. Down 10 points with 10 minutes to play. Zach Wilson led his team on back-to-back touchdown drives to steal a 24-20 win for the Steelers at Akershore Stadium, which I believe uh, Akershore is a diapers for pregnancy. Wilson was 6-for-6. <laughs> six on the 10-play, 65-yard drive before Brees Hall just reached over the goal line with that game-winning tote. And, uh, boys, here's the background on this one. Marky, we we were at the stadium. We left the stadium. We went to 
um, a private party that the NFL was throwing, the NFL's UK office was throwing at a different hotel than the one we're staying in. And we watched, I would say, into late third quarter of all the early kickoff games, which are 6 p.m. here, 1 p.m. on the East Coast in America. Uh, and then once the Steelers went up 2010 and the place was filling up with all sorts of people, I mean, all sorts. I don't know if you want to get it. Why don't we get – we'll get to that after we talk this game. Sure. Uh, we decided we had to get out of there. So I'm in the car. We're in the cab, me and Mark. We get the help of a, a nice gentleman that works at the hotel to help get a cab because it was pretty busy in London at that time of night, surprisingly. And I'm sitting in the car, and I'm just like, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do tonight's show. And uh, I'm like, you know, Mark, I'm annoyed because the Jets are getting – you know, they, they lay down after a quick start in this mm-hmm. game and – we got to figure out how to do the show the right way. And then we get to the hotel, and and, and who's there but Jen Kosky, one of our uh, uh, colleagues uh, from uh, NFL Network, a Steelers fan. And she's like, oh, this game's close. And I'm like, what? Get up to the room, and all of a sudden the Jets are 30 yards from stealing a game. And they did it. And, it, and Mark, for the second time in three weeks, the Jets won a game in which the other team went full Jetsy. And, oh, by the way, ruined the debut of Kenny Pickett. And I knew I could see the headlines, everybody bringing up that stupid Browns game from a few years back with Baker Mayfield. Oh, what a huge story in retrospect, uh, making his debut. Uh, It was going to happen again with Pickett being the big star and the Jets being the clown that cried on the inside. But then something else happened, and somehow the Jets are 2-2. and It's stunning, both of these wins they've had. Well, and you you were in a low place at this party, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, I mean, you know, it uh, when Kenny Pickett came in, it had that classic thing when you root for a bad team that's been a bad team for decades. What you specialize in, what your secret power often is, is you are the debut performance defense against someone whose career will begin uh, in illustrious fashion. And, and I remember I tell <laughs> I told you I said, you this is where Zach Wilson needs to say to Kenny Pickett. Maybe not, you know, <laughs> you did, verbally, actually. but just psychologically. Like, you're not stealing this away from me because this is sort of my debut in year two here. And you kind of looked at me and said, you're wrong. You don't get the Jets. And I, I know where you're coming from, but I think you forgot something. That on the what? Friday Fun Show, someone yes. suggested, yes. demanded that Zach Wilson be the hero <laughs> of the week. And that's exactly what he did. I think it was, what was he, six for six on that final game-winning drive? And you know what? He sure was. At least you can, you can say one thing about the Jets. All you've asked for is that they be entertaining. And that in 50% of the time, they've been entertaining. And Kenny Pickett, in another world, has this gigantic debut. Or are they perfect? No, but Kenny Pickett, take a seat. Next week, you can go do what you want to do. This was Zach Wilson's afternoon. Graver is cheering, and that was rousing, and it was amazing. Um, But I do feel like it kind of left out one key component, which is that Mark locked up the Steelers on Sunday morning. Well, I I actually (laughs) forgot. You're right. And also so did someone else, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but it's funnier. It's funnier because you did the Mark, hero. I thought you I, moved I, past I, this. Remember, we talked about this that you were going to stop mixing and matching your different predictions. You're going to be more baseline. You can't Zach Wilson hero of the week, and then two days later, you're locking up his opponent. You are absolutely correct. Um, my only note from this game was I picked 
Zach Wilson is hero, and the Steelers has a lock that is a mess. Um, it is reflective of my sleep patterns and my week in general. I did not even recall that I did that. Someone pointed out to me that I did that with Zach Wilson. So that was discordant. That was a weird move. And I paid for it. And you should be thankful that I paid for it. Uh, no, I did. I was upset when I learned that you did lock against the Jets because it just feels personal. Um, and it did add a little bit of joy to what was already a joyful moment. Mm. I have to say Good. that. Wait, you feel um, that locking against the Jets is personal? Yes, he does. Uh, We talked about it like four times today. (laughs) Oh, really? But I thought you were going to say it was uh, especially. You know what it was? I think it was especially. I would just say our lack of locking against the Jets over the year is our personal love for you. We would have locked against the Jets like probably three times as many times in the last ten years because. But we personally love you. That's exactly right. I I don't know why Greg is coming in with a screaming headline that I picked the Steelers. He also. Well, it was just funny after that big stirring uh, thing. (laughs) Uh, No, it was more like we're working closely as like warriors on the front line here in in London, and then I I was like, oh, but he he wants my team to lose it hurt my feelings but um we move forward from that and i will say this the kenny pickett debut although it was very strange he threw 13 passes no pass ever hit the ground uh he had 10 completions uh and three interceptions uh including one that was a bad one in between the two jet scoring drives that changed the game and won the game for new york wait didn't they uh, both hail mary didn't the they end. all hit didn't they all hit uh Steelers receivers in the hands. The first two ones hit his receivers in the hands. Right? Uh, I'm not. Well, I'd have to take a look at it. The second one, one at least one of them was a really bad throw, and the, the third one was a hail mary. I didn't. He did not play poorly at all. Um, so don't read into the three interceptions as a sign he's not ready to start. Now Tomlin after the game didn't say he was going to be the week five starter, but that would be silly. Mitch Trubisky came, played the first half. I said on the podcast last Sunday night, I said they have parked themselves in a cul-de-sac as long as they're with Mitch Trubisky, and it was time, and they almost got a spark and made it happen and give him a full week of practice with the first team uh, and see what he can do. So, yes, Pickett did give them a spark. He also made some mistakes. Uh, the Steelers are a frustrating one and three. And, yeah, like the Jets are – I don't. I still don't think they're a very good team. Um, but all I want is entertainment, and they've given me serious entertainment value at the end of these games. And you, if you go on Jets Twitter, there's a bit of a, a stun, a stunning feeling to it all. Like, how are they stealing these games? Because this is what they do. They give away these games. So, uh, another nice, a nice night for Jets fans and an unexpected one. And by the way, that party that we left, right, Mark? That was oh, please. That was a party where right. As we were, you know, getting ready to leave because it was starting to fill up. It was very sparse when we got there. In fact, we were the only people that got there initially. But by 8 p.m. London time, literally the cast of Ted Lasso came in. Right. And then the no, entire um... Saints cheerleading squad. <laughs> and everybody not... was looking to get loose and have fun. Well, no. And, I, you know, I, I would say today was also a day where you spent the first um, five, six of the afternoon and evening realizing how lucky we are to do what we do, to go to go to the, the London game to meet so many f- listeners and fans. But then at that party, it was the kind of the moment where I was like, if I weren't covering these games, 
I would be hanging out with um, this. We're just essentially we've been thrust into a gigantic visual feast. And then we suddenly had to leave. So I had to go watch Kyler Murray play Baker Mayfield. It was like maybe some <laughs> career decisions have been strange. Um, but overall, it was just like we are such professionals. Let me let me steer it this way. That's um, where I got had it. We yeah, that's stayed. What I got out of it. We probably would have been because we're human, swayed and pulled into a mire um, of all sorts of, uh, you know, Greg would be doing the show alone. So we 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 were such mm. pros that we got immediately into cabs, came back and did what we needed to do. I I can only imagine what we missed. There was a you moment where before we uh, headed up the steps, we were, we thought to ourselves, hmm, well, you know, it's the time difference is vast. Perhaps we can go to this party and then record early in the morning before our flight, which made zero sense. But that's how good this party looked like it was going to be. And, um, you know, that's that's the sacrifices we make for really you, the listener. So, right. We lost welcome. all logic. Uh, we, we for a minute, we lost all logic and uh, could have perhaps changed our entire lives. But now our lives stay the same. So Zach Wilson up and down in the game for sure, but he also had a uh, Philly Philly touchdown catch in this game in addition to uh, those big throws and a touchdown in those last two drives. Kenny Pickett, we better see Kenny Pickett the next time the Steelers are on the field or Mike Tomlin is overthinking things. Let's go to a shootout at Ford Field. Another one. Two tight ends on the left side. Single tight end right side. Penny the single setback. And he gets it straight ahead. He got a first down. He got a first down over his left guard and center. Rashad Penny inside the 35. And count this one as a win. The Lions used their last timeout, and it doesn't matter. 53 on the clock. And the Hawks are going to fly back to Seattle with an even 2-2 record and a great offensive performance here today. A great offensive performance by the Seattle Seahawks who took advantage of a weak Detroit defense that can't get a stop, it seems like, this season and really balled out. Geno Smith, yes, Geno Smith. Good job, Greggy. And Rashad Penny, big-time games. Penny with that third-down run that iced the game and allowed the Seahawks to hold off the Lions 48-45. to Geno called it an old-fashioned shootout after the game. Um, Mark, it is uh, the, so listen, the lines of the team of ATL, they have not won since they became team of ATL, but they still have the traits that are important. It's not necessarily winning. It's being an interesting, fun team, football team. They are because this is a game where they didn't have Deandre Swift, where they didn't have Amon Ross St. Brown. And you thought their offense would take a step back, but they nearly put up a 50 burger and still lose because their defense is pitiful. Uh, but give credit to Seattle. Obviously, their offense really showed up in this game. I give immense credit to Seattle. I mean, I think we're looking at two really faulty, fractured defenses, and that's how you end up with this result. Uh, and Detroit's done this before where they get buried in a hole and they come roaring back because they've got the parts to do it, even with a few guys out. But this game, to me, uh, you know, it went through many different um, moods. There's no doubt about it. This was a game with a fake punt. It had a 56-yard field goal. It had this crazy onside kick at the end. Um, Greg, you pointed out, I think on Twitter or to us, that Detroit, after the onside kick, with just a couple minutes left, still had three timeouts left, and they could have taken this thing somewhere else, and they did. And, I mean, if you look at Seattle's drive chart, uh, it's touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, missed field goal. 
touchdown, field goal, touchdown, end of game. And for the slamming and the annoyance that I have expressed, we've expressed about Geno Smith, I'll give him this. I mean, he made throws in this game. I mean, DK Metcalf, he does have some chemistry with DK. Like, DK's results today essentially eclipsed his entire season performance up until this morning. I mean, he, he it just worked. And a Detroit's defense is an ample, fertile ground to go do this against. But that's fine. That doesn't mean every team can take advantage of it. We talked about Geno Smith as having the completion percentage thing. He does have this, but he made big plays in this game as well. Rashad Penny was on fire. And Pete Carroll, there was this moment where the camera, the broadcast camera was stationed behind Pete Carroll at the end of this thing when there was just a couple minutes left. And he just sort of pivoted, turned around, and looked at the camera and did his little Pete Carroll look where he knew exactly what he was doing. It's like the Seahawks, this is what he advertised to us in the offseason. It's not going to happen again this way. This was an anomaly, but it was a beautiful day for Seahawks fans. And I thought Geno Smith, um, he shut me up. He shut me up a number of times. And I don't know how good of a quarterback he is, but he simply fit today. He made the throws. He does not make big mistakes. That's the thing he doesn't. And I, I mean, golf can play well too, but this was a Geno Smith day. And Greg, you take the floor from here. I mean, it's like it until the end, though. I appreciated that at the end. You're like, well, I ha- it's a lot of like, well, I have to give Gino credit. Hey, uh, give it, give credit to you. Well, well of course you got to <laughs> give him credit. He's they scored 48 freaking points. Like they gave up 45 points and they won the game. Joe, Joe Montana's never done that. Tom Brady's never done that. Aaron Rodgers oh, never no. done that. He has. And, and I know too far. Okay, I'm just saying <laughs> things that are true. Here, here's some other things that are true. It, just for now, it's not going to stay there, but it's like you don't have choice but to give them credit. They are the number one offense in the NFL, according to EPA. No quarterback in the history of the, of, of the NFL has a higher completion percentage through four games of a season. Like, I'm not saying Geno Smith is one of the all-time greats. I'm saying right now he is having a ridiculous season that is so far above anything that I could have honked about this summer. You guys would have called me an, an insane person. Uh, he is a different player. He's I think so good before the snap. That's where that Eli Manning comparison came in. He had an audible today on a third and 16 where he saw it coming and he delivered a touchdown. And uh, the one thing that's really different, I think, about him this year is he is better navigating around pressure when it does come. Their offensive line's playing well. Um, but he's been a little more mobile and a little bit able to buy time and make plays in a calm way that like he hasn't done before. But he also hasn't had five straight starts before, or four straight starts before like this in a long time. Ever since making the leap, he's made that leap. I, I feel like I'm just thinking about um, what if Wes felt the way I felt right now. What would Wes say? Wes would probably say, you know, let's talk in January. But for the time being. He's doing great. I mean, but I also you, talk you, about, you can't fire for the time being wanna, me on this. Like, this is a victory for all time, no matter what happens from here at this point. I just, let's see where things are. We, this is a small sample so far, but great job by Gino well, the I, offense. Yeah, I'm but with I also you. They, really, they won't finish it number needs one. It be pointed out that the Lions have a horrific defense right now. And let's hear what Dan Campbell had to say, because Dan Campbell, oh, by the way, he needs to be showing results in year two here, and this is not a good look. And uh, Aaron Glenn, who I quite admired as a player and I really admired him on hard knocks as a guy that looked like a leader of men, 
there are going to start being questions asked about the leadership and coaching if this doesn't get better. Here's what Campbell had to say. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know about that because there again, I go back to, man, I, I got a lot of faith in Aaron Glenn. I got a ton of faith in, in those assistants. And I think it's just, you know, I think we sit down and, uh, and I think we, we look at everything together. And uh, because really, you know, I think more than anything, maybe it's time for a deep dive, you know, a real deep dive into it. Players, uh, everything that we're doing. But I also trust what he's doing. And uh, there's a reason why I hired him. And, uh, and so I want to let him do his job. But certainly I, I'm going to, I mean, I, I got I to gotta look a lot deeper than I have. They are the first team in NFL history to score and allow a combined 281 points uh, through the first four games of the season. So the offense has been better than expected, and the defense has been worse than expected. And in the end, that adds up to one and three. One random aside from this game, DK Metcalf had to take a cart to the locker room um, because he had to to poop yeah. uh, and then he took a cart back. People were worried, you know, he was hurt, but it, he just needed to go to the bathroom. Now this has happened uh, a few different times uh, lately. And this is the same league where I, I often get angry that, that we can't figure out how to have the technology to have a, a laser on the goal line. Can we get some sort of thing where there's like a bathroom on the, uh, on the, on the side of the field so they don't have to run back there. We get it. Some, some sort of uh, porta potty type thing. They can figure this out. So men don't have to be Imagine, running no, back and taking poop carts. You know how embarrassing it would be to go into a porta potty and there's like <laughs> 70,000 people looking at you. Like I'd be so self-conscious. Well, they're not, I mean, looking at, the, they're not looking at you. You're inside a play. But they're I mean, like waiting for you to come out they and they're going to have like they get that you're doing you know, laughing and things. jokes and right. whistles. I thought I saw, you know, because this was written about a lot in a lot of places, obviously, and uh, <laughs> including when it just looked like he was being carted off the field and people didn't know what it was. And RG3 was one that I saw. DK Metcalf just got carted off the field. Man, this game is brutal. Prayer sent up. <laughs> Wait, you got to look at DK Metcalf's tweet though. That is, that is so RG three number one. But like, he just they, he he re, he retweeted. He quote t- tweeted the video of him being carted off and just said that clinch walk would wouldn't have made it. We all we all every every human gets what that means. You know, it's like you know what else it is, Greggy. I know like Mark played the game like we did. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, of course. Taking off an NFL uniform, I think it. It might be you might need a little bit more room than the porta potty offers. They're also very I mean, large. I don't men. know. I no, I don't even want a porta potty. I want a better version of it. RG three did uh, did make up for it later. Now he's doing bits uh, when he's talking about the Chiefs game, which you know Shook's going to get to later, saying the Chiefs are running through the Bucks faster than that poop ran through uh, DK. Dan, I will tell you, just well um, as someone who you know I, I put yes. on a football uniform hundreds of times as a youth. Um, hundreds. He, Sure. I mean, we practiced five days a week, two hours of contact every night than you played on Saturday. This was not 2022. This was a different age, a different era. And like, I would often have to come home. None of that sounds true, but go ahead. It is completely, it's totally true. But like you, you, if you needed to peel off your football pants with the pads and everything, you could, you yes. would learn to do it quite easily. You could, you could function. I don't think that a porta potty would be impossible for a player i think it's more the what you're saying the spotlight on you thank you mark what is he doing in there one or like the the first thing or the second thing that's what we're asking it'd be like a high class porta potty you know the types of porta potties they have like in the vip sections of like a nice concert or whatever like this wouldn't just be your everyday you know crappy porta potty what if all right all right i'll 
I'll roll with this idea. It's very late, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. But what if, since we're here, <clears throat> instead of a porta potty, there's kind of like a on the sideline, back behind the benches, there's a big square, and you can even like put a cool logo, like a toilet logo, and you stand on the square, and then it lowers down beneath the field, and a bunch of fog comes up, and then yeah, it, yeah. downstairs is a is a full bathroom, and whatever right. you need to do down there, you do. Just another thought. All right, pe- people cheer like crazy when you come back up. Like everyone, it's a whole thing. Uh, all right, let's move to the desert where the Raiders were a wounded animal. Maybe dead. They certainly would be dead if they couldn't beat the Broncos. Let's see what happened. Cars under center. Hands it off to Jacobs. First through the middle. Cuts back at the five. Carries a defender. Touchdown, Raiders! Jacobs tosses it into the stands. And he might have just sealed Las Vegas' first win of the year. There is the call from Jason Horowitz. KRLV. Josh Jacobs was a man possessed in the desert. He was a man... You know, when we talk about a team's back against the wall and you, and you say, well, that doesn't matter. Like, you're, you know, you can't play harder. Josh, Josh Jacobs played harder today because he knew his team could not go 0-4. And as a result, he finished. I feel like this is a take that uh, Claybon would take issue with. As a result, he finished with a career-high buck 44 on the ground. Two touchdowns, and the Raiders, yes, get that first win, 32-23 over the Denver Broncos. We were talking about the the Brownies. Like, did they deserve to be two for two, two and two? Maybe, maybe not. The Broncos did not deserve to be three and one, two and two at best, and that's what they are. The Raiders, Greggy, get their first win, uh, and they did it on the back of Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs has looked so good the last two weeks. It's it's why uh, it's why we watch these game pass games because his numbers didn't totally pop against the Titans, but that burst, that ability to jump cut and just make people miss was absolutely there a week ago. I was like, whoa, this is like rookie Josh Jacobs, the one that uh, Wes was so excited about. You just mentioned like he, Wes loved Josh Jacobs that rookie year. It was hard not to. And this team is different when they can run the ball. I thought it was really telling that Devontae Adams told um, Greg Gumbel and Trent Green, the announcers, like that learning this Josh McDaniel offense was like Mandarin. And uh, it got me just like oh, how good. complex it is. Right. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, this is literally one of the smartest wide receivers in the history of the NFL who's been in the league 10 years. Uh, it's challenging for him to get going with this offense. It, McDaniels hasn't had this sort of challenge uh, in a long, long time. You know, he's had this Patriot system that's been the same for 20 years. And maybe it's taken some time for everyone to get up to speed. Derek Carr wasn't totally clean in this game, but I think uh, the tight end screens and the running back screens and the offensive line, which is in theory hodgepodge, is starting to move kind of like those Patriots teams that I'm used to when they run those power formations and everything looked like it made sense today and they really controlled the game for the most part on the ground, but they protected Carr well when they needed to. And I thought it was just like, okay, maybe, maybe here's a little Josh McDaniels. Here we go. And on the Broncos side of things, if if that is the Raiders is Mandarin, I mean, it felt like the the Broncos offense 
is ancient Sanskrit right now. Uh, at least it did in the third quarter when the Broncos let this game slip away because they actually started with some promise and there were moments in this game, uh, Mark, where it seemed like the Broncos and Russell Wilson in particular were continuing to get a little bit more comfortable and he was moving on his legs a little bit more again, which is I think unlocks things with this offense, uh, but completely disappearing until the game had already kind of slipped away is just another warning sign that things are just not right in uh, Denver right now. And since they were gifted two wins, they may be barely earned. They're going to be okay, and the West maybe isn't as good as we thought. But still, plenty of things to be concerned about there. I mean, I, I do see, like, Russell Wilson, he's 11 of 12 in the first half for 152 touchdowns. I mean, there was a killer Melvin, Melvin Gordon fumble in this. But, I you know, we talked about, like, the most – desperate like depressing team out there a couple weeks ago and it's like is it Denver I mean this is so off brand from what was sort of advertised all all off season but I mean I would just ask you Greg of these two teams who is who's the better team I don't really care about the result today so much but it's like you're talking about a Raiders team that under Josh McDaniels maybe I'm not seeing a Patriots arc but like that offense is going to – you can understand why it's taking time for them to kind of heat up and cook up and that they'll, there's a brighter future ahead. With Denver, I just don't sense that the same way. I'm wondering if their quarterback is simply in regression. I think that they probably took – the passing game took a step forward for Denver today. Um, they only had 12 first downs in the game. They had some big plays, but they they moved it. I think Russell Wilson was better. But the running game was, was a disaster. Um you know, you mentioned like different languages. They'd be Sanskrit. I, they're to me, they're more like a, a three-year-old, where it's like uh, they say a bunch of things, and it's kind of cute actually. Sometimes they just say things, and they're all messed up. But sometimes it like actually smashes together well and looks good. But right. otherwise, like most of the time, it just doesn't make any sense. That's that doesn't sound. Uh, there, here. Here's the Broncos' backfield update coming out of this game. Javante Williams carded with a knee injury that. Didn't look great. Uh, Melvin, well, actually, it was kind of hard to see what happened. What didn't look great was Randy uh, Gregory. R- Rapshi has reported that uh, it's expected to be serious and there's not much optimism. It, sound, it sounds to me like he expects With Randy a Gregory? season-ending injury. With Javante Williams. And, and Randy oh, Gregory also might be serious, too. Yeah, Randy Gregory looked like an ACL the way he reacted, but we'll see. Javante Williams... Um, couldn't put any weight on the leg. So if he's out for the year, Melvin Gordon was benched in this game because he's now fumbled four times, uh, lost another fumble that was recovered and scored uh, for a touchdown in this game in a narrow loss. So, you know, he'd be in the doghouse if they could put him in the doghouse. Uh, And then Mike Boone gets some run in this game. And what does he do? All he does is drop a wide open, perfectly thrown Wilson pass that would have put them into enemy territory and given them at least a puncher's chance in the last couple of minutes to drive, but it was fourth down and the game was over. So a lot of issues. I think Wilson actually has looked when you factor in the end of the last game and yes, his big playability in this game, he had a rushing touchdown. He made some plays with his legs. He had a couple of really nice throws. The Judy throw for the touchdown was good. I thought there was progress. Cortland Sutton had a touchdown in this game progress, but the backfield, the running game is brutal right now and you lose a pass rusher now with Gregory most likely and Javante Williams was a potentially special piece of that offense and it looks like you lose him there's just a lot of reason to be pessimistic around Denver right now yeah they, they probably had the worst Sunday of just about 
anyone uh, other than maybe the Colts, which which we'll get to in a minute. It was nice to see the Devontae Adams Pat Sertan matchup. By the way, like this was a real Devontae Adams is a god type of game because you can put one of the best cornerbacks in the league on him, and he's still going to go nine for one hundred and one. And you know who did have a great Sunday? The Zeuser in London with my colleagues and my friends and covering football and the Jets come back and I pivoted out of I pivoted out of the Lions lock and locked up the Raiders. Ooh. How you like them apples? <laughs> nice. That's good for you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, let's move to Indianapolis. Tannehill gives it to Henry around right end to the 15, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The King, Derrick Henry, touchdown, Titans. They were packed inside so hard like sardines, and he bounced it outside. Goodbye. That was Justin Graver, though, the sardine. Actually, it was Dave McGinnis with Mike Keith, WGFX. You know, that does remind me, and it makes sense um, for obvious reasons, but when they did the national anthems at the game this morning, this afternoon, they come out and they do a version of the Star Spangled Banner with the big American flag out. Then out comes the uh, Union Jack flag and... It's God Save the King. Lyric change. And I don't like when I do a, uh, when I go to a concert and I have like a favorite song and then the artist comes out and he, he's mixing the lyrics up and it's like, no, no, sing it the way it is on the CD, like on the record. I like that. Yeah. Um, but I guess you have to. It is now yeah, no to. longer God Save the Queen, which I thought had a lot of pathos. I just like that. But things change and now it's God Save the King. That's just a note. <coughs> I'm going to die. It's almost 2 a.m. So it's 3 a.m. Derrick Henry rushed for a season high, 114 yards, scored a touchdown. Titans defense stepped up, made a couple, three stops late to preserve a 24-17 victory over the Colts. And Jonathan Taylor, who was outplayed by Derrick Henry in this game and exited with a potential high ankle sprain ahead of Thursday night football. Bad news all around for the Colts. Now I bring in Gravedigger himself, who... Man, he's real deal. Like, Gravedigger lives and dies. He lives and breathes it. He was pumped up and feeling very good about himself. He had his lady on his arm and watching his favorite football team destroy a rival. And then it got tight, but at the end, the Titans got the job done, Gravedigger. Gravedigger. Yeah, it was another game where the Titans do this thing where they, like, come out really strong, and they get up to a big lead. They've done it every game except the Monday night game against Buffalo. And they've actually scored on their opening drive in all four games this season. And you're feeling great about the Titans. And you're like, wow, this team's cruising. And they get up to a big lead. And then the second half comes out. And you're like, okay, do something, Titans, here. And the Colts made it interesting here. I have some fun stats for Titans fans. Titans had 16 first downs in the first half. They had three first downs in the second half. They had 28 total net yards in the second half, including two yards in the third quarter. So as much as it feels great to get a win over a division rival, get back to two and two, tied for first place in the AFC South, there's some very real offensive concerns here with the second half offense of the Titans because it's the same it's been the same thing all four games this season. 
Yeah, but they're just trying to manage this part of the schedule. I, I, I hear you because it is bizarre. They're like the exact the exact same thing happened last week. Uh, they survived it. This happened. You got outgained by a hundred against a pretty bad Colts team. But I think there's some there's some good things to feel, uh, and that's that Derrick Henry's back back. I mean, I I, th- I thought not enough was made about him a week ago. Man, he had that burst last week. He has that burst this week. I know the numbers aren't totally there, but that's partly offensive line and the rest of the offense isn't there. He just, he looks like Derrick Henry. He has that juice. And for whatever reason, I had convinced myself because uh, of that foot injury at the end of last year, maybe we weren't going to ever see that juice, but he's got that juice. Yeah, Henry does look good. The other, the other thing, this is partly a usage thing and, and not having the time of possession and not getting first downs in fourth quarters, but here's Henry's rushing stats. In all fourth quarters this season, combined, 13 carries for 17 yards, although the Titans were able today to actually ice the game on that final possession after they forced another Matt Ryan turnover. The Colts were a mess. I mean, Matt Ryan turned the ball over too many times the offensive line cannot protect him they just struggled to move the ball and they put together a couple drives to get back in this game but when it really counted they couldn't pick up first downs and they couldn't protect Matt Ryan like pass protection looks really bad for yeah, him. Yeah I think Matt Ryan I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last season we see of Matt Ryan I'm not trying to be hyperbolic but it's it I, I'm just not seeing a whole lot there it's it's also what's around him but if you're a Colts fan I wonder what the future is with with I mean Frank Reich, who's I think widely and, and understandably praised for what he brings as a head coach. Like this team is a mess. This team is a mess, and I don't. I mean, I think there was pressure on the GM and coach going into this year, and the way this thing is playing out at this moment. I mean, you're the only team I think in the league that's been shut out by someone, and like every other week, you're no showing on offense. Your quarterback is old. You've gotten him past his prime. He's not protected. He's turning the ball over left and right. I mean, they and we saw how the owner responded to poor quarterback play less than a year ago freaking out publicly about it uh, I don't like the tr- like the essential overall arc of where this team is going or what it might mean for everyone attached to it we have a new contender in the first coach to be let go on Black Monday sweepstakes or before and it, Matt Rule still the leader uh, but Frank Reich is making a hard charge and he also has an owner that's probably like you're saying, very peeved. They have lost six of seven dating back to last year when everything fell apart in those Mm. last two weeks. And here's a quote uh, from Reich uh, that I thought was just, on paper anyway, just told the story of a coach that knows there's leaks all over the ship. I feel like we're seeing some things that we want to see. We just need to play better. We need to execute better. We need to stop turning the ball over, and we need to get more turnovers. And, um, you know, we need to run the football a little bit better. And, uh, you know, so and start faster. We're fine. We just need to uh, play better, execute better, stop (laughs) turning the ball over, start getting turnovers. We need to run the football. Oh, and we also have to start faster. But other than that, things are going great. Well, you know what's extra troubling, Dan? Like if you have a bunch of leaks all over your ship, is if it just starts raining all over that open roof in Indianapolis. That's right, the rainmaker delivers two and zero on the season. I spent the whole day thinking I locked this game up, but no, it was the rainmaker. Either way, it works. <laughs> I'm gonna ice you out because you iced out my lock of the Raiders. <laughs> I Jonathan mean, I'm undefeated. Game, You've 20, been iced. 
20 carries for 42 <laughs> yards. My biggest concern from the Titans' perspective heading into this game was being able to stop the run, and it was really not the running game. It was uh, all these crossing routes. I mean, I expected like, Dan to ice me out, but Graver icing me out. Um, look, I, I had faith in your team <laughs> And then, there. like, diving in with more Titans stats. Yeah. Go to the Titans Film Room podcast for uh, more deep dives on this wonderful uh, affair <laughs> for the Titans. Is that fair? Is that a good plug? Yeah, find me at Titans Film Room on Twitter. There you go. Uh, good job. Let's take a break and let's let's almost go quasi speed round to wrap up the show. People cut us some slack. It's 3 a.m. and we have a flight to catch in the morning. All right, we'll be right back. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 31-yard field goal attempt. Here we go. Mason Crosby for the win. Snap. Placement. Swing to the right leg. Kick to the upright. It is good! It is good! Mason Crosby has done it again! He has booted the Green Bay Packers to a 27-24 victory in overtime over the New England Patriots. Packers Radio Network. Uh, with the call. I don't know. Like, Mason Crosby's done it again. They had a stat that was flashed up right before he came out on the field there that he was 22 of 34 in such situations, close and late situations, uh, which is, like, kind of terrible. But he's been there forever, and they've always had a ton of patience for him. And in this case, he made the chip shot that allowed the Packers to survive a really game Patriots team that down to their third string quarterback went punch for punch with Aaron Rodgers uh, but came out on the wrong end. A 27-24 win in overtime for the Packers who are now 3-1 and one after their season opening loss. And uh, Greggy, I gotta say, like, the, the Patriots don't do anything for me anymore as a villain uh, for obvious reasons. They're not special anymore, but this is the first time where I, I felt I was kind of into their underdog vibe with Bailey Zappi uh, at the controls, and the exact moment I felt that way was after Brian Hoyer went out with a concussion. I don't know if you guys picked up on this at all, and I just said I want us to go a little faster, but 
Like everyone that had any type of head injury today was instantly out of the game and never seen. I, I would love to see yep. the data of how many guys left the game, left games with a concussion, and in, in the after the Tua incident on Thursday night and the subsequent changes to concussion protocol. And oh, by the way, the unaffiliated team doctor got fired by the players union that was connected to the initial Tua examination from week three. So now all of these unaffiliated doctors who are like, we like our gig here, are like, you're out of the game. You're out of the yeah, game. Nice. You're out of the game. That's just the way it is right now and maybe for the rest of the season. Uh, but Bailey Zappi and the Patriots really was – they were fun to watch, Greg, because they did not give up when that game could have gone sideways very early. Like, I, I totally am with you. I love uh, their cornerback, the Patriots, Jack Jones, who had the pick six of Aaron Rodgers. That was a great moment. The fact that they got that offensive touchdown with Zappi uh, was great. But I'm, I'm seeing a lot of, like, backslapping, like, this is something that the Patriots can build on, and this was a, a great, you know, thing. And it's like, you, you get all that if you, like, win the game. You don't get all that if you get outgained by, like, 170 yards and you have the ball at the 50-yard line in overtime with the first down off the punt return and you lose the game. I mean, they had so many chances to win the game at the end and they made such curious play calls. The way that they were running in the second half, I just assumed when they got the ball a couple times late in the fourth quarter, they're just going to run, 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 run. Uh, But they ended up throwing twice in a row and Zappi looked totally lost. Like the... The numbers were quite misleading. He looked like a rookie third string quarterback who was taken late. Like it's nothing against him, but he couldn't do anything, and it seemed bizarre that they they went. Oh, to he the made pass. a couple throws though, Greg. He did make a couple throws. That's and he, given the guy who's never even taken a snap then he under had center, like all I. Yeah. I would say in like he had all day to throw, and they were wide open, and he was almost like late getting to them. Uh, I sure. wouldn't say that they were like impressive plays. But Greg, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you got to be able to run the ball in. to get a field goal there. Get a run, run the ball right, to get like, a field goal there. Not get stuffed twice and punt at the 45. That's a gutless I mean, the punt. The defense gave up 440 yards or something. And I, if you look, if you just factor in what we heard about that training camp and New England's offense in gutless general, punt. and that you're the third quarterback that's getting literally no snaps at all, like to come in in this game and to t- to essentially take do enough at least to get the team where they were against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I don't like Dan, you pointed out that this might've been one of your favorite Bill Belichick coaching moments. It just came close to being that. I mean, like, right. I, yeah, I, I feel like Bill I Belichick got... is kind of floating and like in a weird space right now. Like I, it's weird to see Bill Belichick coaching a team that feels punchless and doesn't really have a larger role in the NFL well, season. He, he also created his own purgatory by not, treating Tom Brady with enough respect, in my opinion. But I was talking about, but that's a whole other conversation. I was talking about the moment when Zappi's in and Hoyer's out and Mac Jones is out and Jacoby Meyer, who's the other emergency quarterback, is inactive. And you see Belichick go over and he's talking to this kid who's never even taken a snap under center. Uh, He worked out a shotgun in college. uh, And like I can't even imagine what was going through that young man's head with and Lambeau Field with Aaron Rodgers on the other side of the field. So the fact that he even made a couple throws, I thought it was kind of just fun to watch. And if, if for the Packers, uh, they very nearly had a Romeo uh, Dobbs touchdown that would have won the game at the end of regulation. A very close call that went against Green Bay, uh, not holding down and surviving contact with the ground. Uh, but I'll give him credit that that was a game that could have turned into a disaster. And they did eventually wake up and answer the call on offense 
and and get it done. And you even saw Matt Lafleur's face. Uh, I don't know if anybody else noticed this. They showed the replay after the field goal went through the uprights. He took off the headset and let out a big exhale because he was like, "I was not expecting that game to be that <laughs> difficult." I got the W though. Yeah, you're you're right about stepping up. Like Aaron Rodgers got them back in this game with like perfect throws that were well defended. Amazing the, throws. Yeah. The, the deep throw to Alan Lazard on third and 10. He had another one to Randall Cobb that like, I don't think Belichick would look at those plays and think they could have done much differently. It was Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers. And then you're right. The, the Packers defense surprised me. I thought the way they've played run defense this year and the way that the Patriots have run the ball and they ran 33 for 167 today. They ran effectively even today. I figured the Patriots would be able to run the ball down the field and kick that game-winning field goal, whether it was regulation or overtime, and the the Packers stuffed them both times. Let's head to the Swamps of Jersey. Jones fakes the handoff. He's going to roll to his left, looking. He's going to just run. Jones to the 15. Jones to the 10. Jones to the 5. Jones in. Touchdown, Giants. 21 yards. Daniel Jones. I'd ever hear this song this late. It is on in New York City, kind of. It's actually northern New Jersey, and also the Giants maybe aren't that good. But at the end of the day, they're 3-1 and one after a 2012 win over the Bears. Daniel Jones, he was limited by an ankle injury in this game, even though he scored twice. You heard one of those scores there. Bob Papa with the call on FAN. Tyrod Taylor, guess what? He visited the uh, unaffiliated Head doctor guy, he, that he was told he's done. So they, uh, the Giants and Brian Dable, had to go into their bag and had to run wildcat offense to close out a 20-12 to 12 win. Uh, Saquon Barkley, buck 46 uh, in this game, and he is having a monster year, Mark Sessler. Uh, and the Giants, whatever, you can only play your schedule and they are 3-1, and, and Giants fans, and I know this for a fact, are excited because... You know, there's been a lot of lost seasons in the last few years. Who's even? I mean, it's not that different than Jets fans. It's like just enjoy what you have going on right now. They're very; these are two very atypical offenses. The Giants ran for 262 yards and passed the ball for 82. I don't know what year we would find that to be typical in. I mean, the Giants and Bears combined for 215 passing yards, which is easily uh, the lowest between two quarterbacks this season and I you know that said I thought the Giants like with the way that they dominated on the ground uh showed me something it's like I don't know what it is about them they kind of are fun to watch in my opinion Daniel Jones threw the ball 13 times Tyrod Taylor threw it three times like so it tells me that if you Brian Dayball at least is is using the parts he has uh and making the most of it they've got a real issue at wide receiver their wide receivers as a group today had three catches for 25 yards. So it's just this is a team just trying to sort of survive, I think, right now through some injuries in this part of the season. And the Bears, to me, um, outside of being able to run the ball pretty well in some of these weeks, are an unwatchable offense with a quarterback that I don't know what to call other than maybe the worst quarterback in the league. I, and I don't mean the worst, but just like Justin Fields is not developing the way that you would want. He's just not. And so – it, 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 Chicago has got so much work to do in the rebuilding. The Giants, uh, 
to me, they they had they got a couple great performances on defense as well. It was a weird game, but it was not it was not the it was not unexpected from what we would thought we'd get from them. It was probably the worst game of the day. I'm just being real. I don't think it was yeah, the, they're 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 the the Bears are like maybe the worst team in the league with their offense as bad as it is. They're in the running for that. So the Giants taking care of business is not stunning to me. Let's see. I don't imagine they're going to win against Green Bay in London next week. I don't imagine they'll win. Uh, against the Ravens the week after that. But show me, Giants, uh, and fight in those games and be competitive. And then maybe, and Greggy, uh, NFC that's quite muddled. We were down on the field with MJD uh, doing a live hit on the old Jumbotron at uh, the Hot Toddy, which is always a weird experience, but cool. Uh, and he was making the case, oh, you're, we're definitely watching two playoff teams right now, uh, referring to the Vikings and Saints. I'm like, oh, Saints, you sure? I mean, it's been a little <laughs> sloppy. He's like, yeah, man. And, you know, I love MJD because he speaks with total confidence on everything football-related. Oh, yeah, man, <laughs> absolutely. Look, look, dude, who else is in the NFC that you think could win the wild card? And I'm not saying the Giants are a team I think could sneak in and grab one, but if if you can steal one of these next two games or at least play well – then maybe we could have some fun talking about the Giants as we get closer to Halloween and beyond. Well, let's let's find a quarterback to bring to London. I mean, it would be a real real shame if they're starting a third stringer uh, next week because we always talk about we kind of root for a good game. If they're starting a third stringer, I, I guess the, the Packers showed that they're no lock against third string quarterbacks today, but it feels like that would be a tall tall order for the Giants next week. Absolutely. So we're in a hold. The Around the NFL podcast is on a hold on the Giants, uh, but uh, good for you guys. Three out of four I'm to on start a sell the season. Still. Yeah, you're selling. Yeah, I'm selling too. But like, oh, I'm I on like- a hold on even giving you any like pop really for three and one. Uh, but I will give the '80s throwback uniforms pop. That, like so, you you guys Those were killing me for liking the the uh, the whiteout uniforms from a couple weeks ago. Like these uniforms today. It was more like you the, stated. I think it was the way you stated it as like it was a really important thing, and I was like, I don't what? think it was important. I mean, it's like also anything I'm saying at this point in this show. It's what 3:06 a.m. Um, I'd need to be taken out with an arrow at this point. But like. I yeah, thought that watching those these. old Giants uniforms, those are the first uniforms I ever watched, I think. And, like, it, it just – there's something about this season. Pinch me. This season and this team under Dayball just feel like a different Giants experience. So if you can feel that way about the Jets, I think Giants <laughs> fans can make the similar argument. Meanwhile, okay. Bears fans yeah. are like, we have the same record as the Jets. You just called us the worst team in the NFL. I think they're clearly – they're, they're openly <laughs> rebuilding and, like, they've got issues. No, I didn't. I have not said the Jets are a good team. They're quite lucky to be two and two. But the Bears, I think the I think the Bears are certainly in the bottom three. Maybe the Jets are in the bottom five, but that's beside the point. Let's move to. <laughs> let's move into an airplane. Maybe put me in a box. <laughs> just shit me back. Uh, let's move to Houston. Oh boy, <laughs> Herbert. Play action, rolling to the right, throwing to Eckler. He's got a lane, 10, 5, to the end zone, hits the pylon. Touchdown, Chargers. A three-pack of scores for Eckler this afternoon. This one from 14 out. There it is, Matt Money Smith and Daniel Jeremiah on the call. K-Y-S-R. Austin Eckler has showed up. He had 20 touchdowns last season. Hadn't been that guy so far this year, but 
scored three to lead the Chargers to a 34-24 win over the Texans. Justin Herbert, 340 and two touchdowns. Big early lead. It got tight late. Uh, Greggy. And we apologize ahead of time to these two teams. We'll give you more love later in the week. Uh, but anything you can say about this game in terms of like a Cliff's Notes matter? Yeah, like that even a Chargers-Texans game, a 20-point lead isn't safe. It really looked like they were going to potentially blow this. I think uh, the biggest development was their left tackle. They decided to start this rookie, Jamari Saylor. Uh, or Sailor, I think is the way to say it. And he looked great at left tackle. It's the best their running game has looked all Sailor uh, wasn't year. a failure? No. And and Good. they've been playing uh, Storm Norton or whoever in those spots. Like, who knows if they found something, but it, it worked It worked for today. And Justin Herbert looked, looked fine. Good. They scored on five of the first six positions to build that 27-7 lead. And um, Joey Bosa, the first of a long time, they're not going to have him in the lineup, so they get it started there. And the Texans now are 0-3 and 1, and at least they scored in the fourth quarter because that hadn't happened <laughs> until now. That so that that, cool. that did happen. I mean, they scored they scored ten points. It was a three point game after it was twenty seven uh, seven, and then Brandon Staley grew some stones here, Dan. You know how he's been kind of not doing the fourth down thing. As they right. were falling apart and charging, they went for fourth down after giving up that huge uh, lead in their own end, only up three with like four and a half, five minutes left, and they hit it, and then they end up hitting the touchdown later. That drives a little stones there. by Stanley. What about our guy Damian Pierce, who had a, I thought, his first uh, sort of breakout play of the season today? Unbelievable run for that Beautiful. I mean, he he lit it up last week, too. There he goes. Cuts. All the way down the sideline. Boo! Any other other questions about his play? (laughs) I don't know. I would ask Greg how he he looked to him. No, we were kind of – I was getting ready to move on, and then you wanted to pivot into a Damian Pierce conversation. No, let's table it till another day. (laughs) No, because like I said, we could hit Pierce and anything else connected to this game – uh, on Tuesday show or perhaps the Thursday preview show, but now we must move. But he had a hell of a long run to really get the Texans going in this game. Thank you for your but service. I know because yeah, I, I saw I the have, highlight. Yeah, I have a Monday night football recap in roughly 24 hours uh, from now with a uh, with a special guest. All right, let's toss it to <laughs> Nick Shook, who's going to handle the Sunday night football recap for us. Take it away, Pipe. (laughs) You never know with these guys. From the two, Mahomes escaping. On the move, Mahomes stops, spins, flips it forward for the touchdown to Edwards Hilaire. Mahomes straddled the line of scrimmage, flipped it to Edwards Hilaire for the score. Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth on the call for NBC. After getting just 21 points a week ago, Week 4 Sunday Night Stars gave us 72. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs jumped on the Buccaneers early, avenging their Super Bowl 55 loss to Tampa in the very same stadium with an emphatic 41-31 win over Tom Brady's Buccaneers. In this game, the tone was set early by Kansas City's special teams. Opening kickoff, they force a fumble, recover, go down, and immediately score a touchdown. Before you know it, they're up 14-3, and in the second quarter early, they're up 21-3. 
That's the worst situation you can find yourself against a high-powered offense like the Chiefs, which didn't look very high-powered in, in Indianapolis a week ago, but this time around, they got everything ironed out. It was proven by their early score, by the fact that they took an early lead. They were able to take a 28-10 lead into the final minutes of the first half before the Buccaneers woke up. And for a moment there, it looked like they might be able to find their way back into this game. Tom Brady engineering a 12-play, 75-yard drive, capped by a one-yard touchdown pass to Mike Evans, the classic back corner fade that they love to throw to Mike Evans. That made it 28-17, to but again, because they spotted that early lead to the Chiefs, they could never quite recover. The Kansas City Chiefs came out of halftime and continued their momentum offensively. They got whatever they wanted offensively for most of the night, and though they only came away with a field goal on that opening drive, it essentially continued where they were in the first half. A lot of that powered by, of course, Patrick Mahomes and the magic he makes, but also a nice little two-headed rushing attack is developing with the Chiefs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Isaiah Pacheco combine on 30 carries for 155 yards and one touchdown on the night bringing some much-needed balance to this Chiefs offensive attack. And, of course, Mahomes spreading it around. He connected with eight different targets. Travis Kelsey leading the way with nine grabs for 92 yards and a touchdown. And when they found themselves in a tough spot, maybe in the red zone, Patrick Mahomes and his magic making it work. He had a really long scramble that I'm sure you've seen on your social accounts since now where he had to scramble all the way around the field and then dumped it off to Clyde Edwards-Alaire just behind the line of scrimmage for a touchdown. It was that kind of night for the Chiefs. No matter what they did, most of it worked. They outgained the Buccaneers by, eh, you know, 30 or so yards, 417 to 376. The Buccaneers, though, actually averaged more yards per play, 6.4 to 5.4. But the biggest difference in this game, outside of the offensive power that Kansas City often displays, was how they owned the time of possession battle. They kept the ball for 38 minutes and 38 seconds, which is a very visually pleasing number. And it was also 17 minutes more than the Buccaneers had that night. And a big reason for that, third down success. The Chiefs constantly finding ways to work and continue their drives. 12 of 17 on third down. Buccaneers 6 of 10, which is 60%. That's pretty good, but it doesn't amount to the same type of numbers that the Chiefs are putting together when they're holding onto the ball for so long. You know, we came into this game, this is one of my sneaky underdog picks in that weekly underdogs column because, hey, if the Buccaneers could continue to play defense like they've been playing for the last three weeks, I thought, well, they had a chance because their offense has been lagging behind, of course, but they were getting Mike Evans back. They were probably going to get Julio Jones back. They even got Chris Godwin back. Maybe, just maybe, they could balance that out enough to get an upset win over the Chiefs. I was wrong. Todd Bowles' defense, worst performance since he's joined the staff in 2019, allowed the most points in a single game since he came over to the Buccaneers, the previous high 40, which happened twice in 2019. So they take a massive step back. Of course, it comes at the hands of the Chiefs, the most creative offense in the NFL, doing it in a number of different ways. The Buccaneers' offense, you know, they continue to move the football. They looked more like the Buccaneers the last two years than they have for the first few weeks of the season. But nothing was quick strike. And when you're facing a team like the Chiefs and you dig yourself an early hole like they did on Sunday night, that becomes an issue. They were able to move the ball down the field, but they were methodical drives. In fact, their their quickest touchdown drive of the night was the touchdown late in the game uh, where they covered 40, uh, let's see, 34 yards in five plays in a minute 12. And that is really a product of the fact that they got an interception, Sean Murphy bonting, uh, intercepting Patrick Mahomes and put them in Chiefs territory. Otherwise, Slow, long drives down the field to score touchdowns. That's not going to be enough to keep up with these Chiefs. And ultimately, 
they ran out of time. They just simply ran out of time because of the early hole that they dug themselves into. The good news, of course, like like I said, Mike Evans, he's back on the field after that one game suspension. Eight catches, 103 yards, and two touchdowns. But the Buccaneers couldn't really get out of their own way. Penalties killed their last-ditch effort in the middle of the fourth quarter down 17 points forced them to punt which is kind of surprising at least from my vantage point because you're down 17 to the Chiefs a team that you've given up 41 points to you know you're not going to score quickly you haven't really done it all night you're going to punt it away but again got to preserve your opportunities to try and go down the field and make something happen and don't dig yourself even deeper of a deficit so that kind of hurt their momentum they didn't really have much of a shot anyway they scored that late touchdown of course uh you know to cut it to 10 but At that point, they just simply ran out of time. No timeouts left after trying to stop the clock to get the ball back. Just wasn't enough. And on the flip side, the Chiefs, after struggling in Indianapolis, looking nothing like the Chiefs we've seen the last few years, basically beating themselves in that game, handing that victory to the Colts, they come back and into Tampa, a place that they really wanted to go get that win. They wanted to avenge that loss in Super Bowl 55, and they did it with emphasis. Their offense was humming, running on all cylinders. Three touchdowns for Patrick Mahomes. One pick that he threw in the fourth quarter, which didn't amount to much in the end. Again, we talked about the rushing attack and all kinds of players getting involved in the passing game. Let's keep an eye on that defense, though. These Chiefs in the past, a lot of them have been about offense. This defense, you got to watch them because they did give up 31 points tonight, but they forced two turnovers. They got after Tom Brady, an early fumble in the first half, giving them the ball back, allowing them to continue to build that lead. A nice sack from Legereus Sneed off the edge. That's what caused that fumble. You got to watch out for them because if they can balance these two things out, I mean, they're already three and one atop the AFC West and they're looking strong right now. You know, who needs Tyreek Hill when you got Mahomes and an offense that finds ways to spread around to other talented pass catchers. So a big win for the Chiefs, a win that was a statement game of sorts for them to close out the first month of the season. Buccaneers, meanwhile, tell you what, they look about the most frustrated two and two team I've seen in a long time. It's been offensive issues in the past. Tonight it was defensive issues and just not being able to keep pace with a team that they know is going to be in the running at the end of the season. If these Buccaneers want to get back to the Super Bowl, they want to go win another Lombardi. Tom Brady is not getting any younger. They might run into the same team that they did beat in Super Bowl 55. And if they put on a performance like they did tonight, it's not going to turn out well for them. So they know they got to get things figured out defensively. They got to avoid the turnovers and they have to figure out how to produce points quicker. And oh, by the way, Find a way to run the football because on the ground, they were horrible tonight. A rushing net of three yards. A lot of that, of course, is a product of working from behind Tom Brady through 52 passes for 385 yards and three touchdowns. He completed 39 of them. They had to throw the ball. They were forced to. And when you become one-dimensional, it allows opposing defenses to tee off, which is what the Chiefs were able to do do tonight. So, again, great win for the Chiefs. Back to the drawing board for the Buccaneers. Not the worst situation to be in at 2-2. and But they still got things to figure out as they try to stay healthy and try to, you know, figure out how to manage this offense with the, the injuries that they've suffered on the interior offensive line, which we knew that was going to be an issue going into the season. I uh, haven't quite figured that out yet either. So two and two could be worse, but they know they got some things to figure out and it's not super encouraging for them, but they are still the Buccaneers. They still have Tom Brady and they're still going to be a contender. So big win for the Chiefs and a great way to close out week four of the regular season until we head to Monday night. But in the meantime, I'm going to send it back to London to the guys where they're getting ready to come back to the States. So Dan, Greg, and Mark, take it away, fellas. All right, we're back. Thank you to Nick Shook. Sincerely, thank you to Nick Shook, who uh, has really stepped up, as he always does, helped us out last week when we were getting on the plane to come to London, helped us out tonight. 
uh, when we are heading back to the States. And thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that helped make this amazing week possible for Around the NFL. Um, it was a great, it was, a, it was such a fun, exciting time as it always is. The live show uh, was something I'll never forget. Uh, the excitement around that and um, that experience. And none of this happens without people like Henry Hodgson, um, our friend, uh, but also uh, a major figure uh, in the UK side of things. He just moved back from California after 11 years uh, to doing some heavy lifting uh, over there. And he did some heavy lifting to get us to England this year. So thank you to Henry and the entire NFL UK office, Nick Pike, who helped us out today at the stadium. Uh, Matt Schneider, Charlie Euchre, uh, Meredith, everyone over there in the uh, stateside U.S. office. Thank you to Jessica, Justin's wonderful girlfriend, who was a huge help to us all week long as well. Any any other thank yous we want to s- say, uh, boys? How about, how about Mike Berkowitz for setting up Mike that uh, that show? But uh, no, I think I'm thanking you for ending the thank yous so that we can we can go to bed. It is wow, it's past three a.m. Uh, it has there been were fun. A couple though. Of it, photos it, haven't that... you noticed? I was going to say, haven't you noticed this whole NFL UK thing? It is quite different than even five years ago. Like, we've been able to see the growth kind of on the oh, ground. It awesome. It, it, it's pretty different from, from even five or six years ago. I was saying to, I was saying to you, Mark, uh, when we were walking outside the stadium and taking photos with people and just soaking in the vibe, uh, that it's hard to come home and readjust after the whirlwind that is the, are, that are these London trips because uh, everyone treats us so well, and it, it, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. And, yes, thank you. Special thank you to Mike Berkowitz, who, who did every, a lot of the heavy lifting um, in setting up that live show, which, again, was the highlight of the week for me. So, yes, yeah, and- it's not just us by far. It's a lot of people helping out. And, Greg, we missed you today. Like, I, I would let you know that, like, we ran into so many people that listen to the show, um, and they're a really special audience. But a lot of them, their first question was, like, uh, where's Greg? We want to see Greg too. So just you were you were missed. Uh, you matter to these people as well. It's we. It was not right. the same. And we and we did tell them the truth that you killed a man and you're currently in a uh, <laughs> county lockup outside London. I'm fighting. I'm fighting the charges hard. I'm getting out, and um, I didn't touch him. So, well, self defense. All right. Thank you, and thank you to Justin Graver, who did excellent work producing all week and is uh, such a weapon for us. Uh, so thank you, buddy, as well. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. enjoy editing this one for us. the next, like, two hours, Justin. <laughs> God willing, uh, we will be back with you on Tuesday. Uh, so make sure you're out looking out for that. And, of course, the Monday Night Football recap, I believe, is going down as well. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Until then, Dan Hansa signing off for The Quiet Storm, The Old Boss, The Grave Digger, another trip to London in the books. Unbelievable. He's a car. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. 
and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.